Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. How are we this morning? So good, so good. So a little addendum to to Bob's prayer that youth are coming back on a bus this afternoon, like around 2.15. I just talked to Stacy again. She said that roads are looking good up there, but... Um, if anything changes, parents, uh, we'll let you know, uh, but we're going to do our best to use wisdom, and like Bob said, just, just continue to pray for him, because it's slick out there. It's slick out there today. Um, Bob also mentioned that, um, um, you know, today we're here to worship. We're not here to talk about football, but um, I want to talk about football. Specifically, I know that there's some uh, discreet Patriots jerseys uh, out in the... the the community there, and I'm just going to ask you to identify yourself, and <laughs> ushers, could we, uh, could we have you remove them, please, <laughs> from the fellowship? No, it's good. It'll be fun. It'll be a fun afternoon. It'll be a fun afternoon today. Uh, so good to, to be here with you guys. Again, thanks for um, uh, pushing through the slick roads, and glad you're here safe. Hey, uh, we're going to j- jump up back into Acts, um, if you have been with us over the last several months. And uh, we're going to get back in. Can we pray together as we open the Word of God? Uh, Jesus, we thank you uh, that as we gather in this place, um, we acknowledge that you are the head. We are your body. Father, we thank you that you've gathered us into a family. God, that we're not a part in this. And, and as we open your word today, God, I thank you for a, a continue, renew, continual renewing of our mind, our spirits, our beings, God, to be in alignment with your kingdom. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the story of the early church. We thank you, God, that you, um, that you gifted us with this documentation, God. We get to see this picture of how it unfolded. And I thank you, Lord God, that as we remember our roots, as we remember our DNA, we remember in whom we were founded. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for life to rise up in each one this morning. I thank you for life and power to be deposited in each of your sons and daughters this morning. And so we submit ourselves to you. We surrender to your goodness today, God. We say, come and have your way, Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to, um, we're going to get back into Acts chapter 9. We're probably not going to have any scriptures up on the screen today, so it may be important for you to have a reference point either on your phone or in your Bible. Uh, We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 and chapter 10, covering actually quite a bit of ground. And so over the next couple months, um, we're going to be covering larger sections, giving some overview, and then probably diving into a couple key points here. And, uh, and it's good. This is good for us to do. This is really good for us to do. It's good for us to rehearse our story. You know, this isn't just the story of Acts. How many believe that we're still in the story of Acts? Acts is still unfolding. It didn't end, right? The Holy Spirit of God and King Jesus is still, they're still manifesting themselves in the lives of the church all around the world. And so we're just caught up into this continuation and it's good for us to rehearse the story. A couple weeks ago, we, we ended um, about halfway through chapter 9. Luke, uh, as he's writing this, he's very meticulous in the way he's documenting this. 
And the, the details he's, he chooses are not frivolous. And they're not flippant. And, and he goes through different movements in the book. And about six times he has these transition statements. A couple weeks ago, um, for those of you who pushed your way through the snowstorm uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at one particular phrase, Acts chapter 9, that, that the church multiplied as they grew in the comfort, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it was just kind of the summary of what was happening among the church, right? And so we're going to go from there, and he's going to go into this next movement. And this particular passage, we're going to take a look at three particular stories. Two we're going to make a quick re- reference to and then hang out in the third particular story. Um, and there's a couple themes I want to point out uh, just right at the top. First of all, what's happening here is Luke is starting, he's going to start making connections uh, that the gospel is on its way back to Rome, okay? So it's starting in Jerusalem, but we're going to start reading stories that lives are being changed, things are exploding, and it's all ba- on its way back to Rome. Why is that important? Because Rome is the center of power. And he's going to start painting a picture that not even, not even uh, the power center of Rome is immune to the potency of the gospel. There is no system. There is no power structure. There is, there's nothing made of man on earth um, that can overpower the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's infectious. It's viral. And so he's going to start... He's going to start tracking. That's what you're going to start seeing over the next several chapters is the, this, this thing where it's going to start working its way back to him. Just visual, like, visualize it like a movie, right? Where it's, it's going to start getting, the stakes are getting higher is what's happening. So that's kind of the first theme um, that we, we need to understand. That's what's happening in the subtext here. Uh, the second part here, these three stories are stories that are more or less taking place in homes. And that's a really important fact that as the, as the early church is exploding, much of the work of God is exploding in the context, not of big corporate gatherings, but in the homes of believers. Okay? And uh, we'll take a look at that here in a second. But the first, the first uh, story we come into, Acts chapter 9, verse 32, it's called the healing of Aeneas. And I'll read this very quickly. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came, all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years. He was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. I sometimes wonder why he had to tell him to make his bed. Is there something else going on here? Rise and here's a chore for you. Rise and make your bed. Immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. And they turned to the Lord. Can I, can I just quickly remind us here today, um, as, as Peter's going out, he heals Aeneas. It says that the entire village, the entire area of Lydda, they turn to the Lord because of one miracle. Can I remind us as we're easing into this today that, that um, as we're growing in kingdom life, that the, the signs and wonders and miracles and healing the sick, they're not peripheral to the kingdom life. They're paramount. All it takes is one miracle to change a region. Okay. James Maloney, when he, he was here this last year, he, he brought us that word. He said that there's, there's power even in, the, even in one miracle. It's, it has more to do with that one person. There's this environmental effect, right? And so can I just remind us here today that, you know, even as Peter heals Aeneas in this particular passage, he rises, 
he, he regains his strength. It says the whole area turned to the Lord. May, may we be filled with faith and courage to even pray for one miracle, with faith to see that our entire neighborhood, our entire city can turn, turn their hearts to the Lord Jesus. I was, spe- I was expecting maybe a little bit more from that one right there. All it takes is one miracle. Do not give up on praying for the sick. Do not give up on expecting great things. This can happen and it will happen. Amen? So Peter's healing the sick. This is what we get to do. This is normal for us. You know, I know we're not always praying for the sick every day. I know that. But the, the faith in our hearts, we should be, we should, the paradigm system we're coming from, the operating system that we're working off of is one where Jesus is Lord, right? And so we are living our lives. All of life, all of life is now with the anticipation of what does it look like for Jesus to be Lord in this situation. And then we, we behave accordingly, right? And so he moves from here. And so, so we come to uh, the town of Joppa. The next, the next passage is another miraculous thing. Um, and, and we meet a woman who, 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 who uh, potentially has the most unfortunate name in human history. Her name is Dorcas. Fortunately, she had a second name, which was Tabitha. I imagine she went with that name. But you have to wonder, at what age do you think, I think my parents hate me, right? Um, her name is Dorcas, but Dorcas and this whole community of widows, what we learn about them is they're seamstresses. They, they, um, they quilt, they, they make fabric, they're fabric makers. They're, they make textiles for the church, and they're supporting the church. There's this whole community of widows that was really in- integral even to the life of the church, because they were, um, they were fashioning, they were forming, they were creating uh, these fabrics that would um, go to support and resource the church. And that shouldn't be left unnoticed either, um, that what God had given them to do might seem simple, but it was important to the life of the early church. They were faithful with, with the art and the craft that God had given them, right? And so we read uh, that Peter, again, goes here. Tabitha, her name, uh, she became ill and died. And here's what it says in verse 38. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. See, we, we read it again, this really important uh, key that in verse 42, it became known throughout all of Joppa. And so, so these first two stories are, are stories taking place most likely in homes, most likely in inhab- habitations where believers lived. And what was happening in the homes is so significant that it was changing, uh, it was changing the region. And I, and, and I, I want us, I want, I want us to encourage, I really feel like this is an important thing, um, that we're filled with an imagination uh, that I believe we're, 
we're still in a day where God wants to break through the, the miracles and signs and wonders and the life of the kingdom he wants to deposit to us will have a breakthrough in homes and not just, not just church buildings. That we're filled with expectation and anticipation that the stuff that God wants to do is actually going to happen in the threshold of our own homes and in the homes of the people we visit, right? And, and this, is, this, is, this is an imagination we need to cultivate, right? We have to remind ourselves this is what God is up to. He's about coming into homes and to families. And so it makes sense that we even transition to this third passage. And this third passage, when we get to chapter 10, um, this is probably one of the most paramount passages in all of Acts. Um, you know, we got the ascension of Jesus. We got the pouring out of the Spirit. This particular passage, you and I would not be here today if it weren't for what's about to happen next. And it's so significant that God actually has to orchestrate it himself. We're about to meet a centurion named Cornelius. And then, uh, and then also, as Peter's making his way, God has to actually orchestrate this by showing up to each of them um, uh, with uh, angels and dreams and visions to tell them exactly what to do because probably neither, neither of them would have done Neither of them would have obeyed unless an angel showed up. That's how, that's how key this is that's, that, that we're about to read right here, okay? So chapter 10, I'm going to read this first part as we meet Cornelius. You guys doing okay? Okay. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Now Caesarea is about 30 miles away from uh, Joppa on the coast, okay? Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. That's legit, man. If you're, named, if you're part of a group named the Italian cohort, it's like, don't mess with these guys. From the Italian cohort. <laughs> That's a tattoo right there. <laughs> Embroider that on a leather jacket. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who, sh- who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything, uh, everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So this is, this is the introduction. This is the first time we're introduced to an actual Roman who has an encounter with God. And, and, and an angel shows up to him in a dream and tells him exactly what to do. And there's a few things to point out here. Again, this is, this is significant because it's about, it's about this infection that's about to start going back into Rome. So we meet Cornelius, who's an Italian, right? So as the gospel spreading, you know, we hit, we hit, we've already been uh, the eunuch um, from Ethiopia. The, they met in Samaria. Uh, we've, 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 we've seen the gospel touch men and women in Judea and Samaria, we meet Cornelius, who's an Italian Roman. And it's a foreshadowing of what's about to happen, right? 
But what, we, what I love about this particular passage is that it's juxtaposed to what we read about Saul. See, Saul lived, at, you know, he was murdering and persecuting Christians, and, and the gospel got a hold of him, and it, and it was, that should be a sign of hope for all who are far from God or who have done things that they're not proud of, who have done things actually in total opposition to God, that the gospel can reach them. But here we meet a man, we read, who was God-fearing. He was giving alms to God. He was, his, him and his whole household lived in the fear of God. And, and it said that the angel showed him, and, and I, think, uh, I think it's important for us to note in this, in this passage um, that the gospel is not just for people whose lives are a wreck. It's also for people who are generally good people. Okay? Can we just not skip over that for a second here? That it's not just the gospel. Who needs the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not just for the murderers and, all, and those. Yes, it's for them as well. But it's also for those who people are, they're generally, their life is together. And God meets them right where they're at and says, listen, you are important to me today. A door is open to you as well. And so, so God pinpoints this man Cornelius because of his heart towards God and says something is about to happen. Something significant is, is percolating. It's in the air. It's, it's, it's coming up. It's rising up. And so meanwhile, while the angel is showing up to, to Cornelius, God has to encounter Peter as well, 30 miles down the road, right? So here's, what, here's, here's Peter's encounter with God. In verse 9, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending. Being let down by its four corners upon the earth, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Okay, so, so Peter, he's on a house stop. He says he was hungry and he fell into a trance. And has that happened to anybody before? <laughs> I've had similar experiences. I feel like this one's just a bit different. He says he's hungry. And then what happened? This open vision. He fell into a trance. These things happen, right? I don't know how, I don't know what that means. And we don't know what's going on here. But God visits him in, a, in, a, in, a, in an incredible way. Ecstasy. I think the actual word here is like ecstasio or something like that. It's, it comes from the word ecstasy. And, uh, and so Peter, God starts speaking to Peter and speaks him in a specific way. And in, 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 in this particular vision, he sees animals. And this has to happen three times. The Spirit of God says, rise and eat. Um, and we'll read here in a second why that's important. Okay? And so... So, so Peter then is, he's taken to, uh, uh, shortly after, some men come and get him. So the centurion soldiers that, that, that Cornelius sends out come and get Peter. Verse 25 says this, When Peter entered Cornelius and met him, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him, but Peter left him up and saying, Stand up, I too am a man. 
And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to him, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was asked for, I came without objection. And so Peter, he comes in, he does what God asks him to do because it happened three times, and typically you do what God asks you to do after it's three times. He shows up and, and he, he makes this open confession to Cornelius. He says, do you understand that it's, it's unlawful for me to be here? Now, we need to get into this for a second because uh, what's, what's going on here is, is Peter is at a crisis point, right? Um, so you guys are familiar with this word prejudice. What's happening is his prejudice is being confronted. Now prejudice, another way of defining prejudice would be prejudging. Any prejudgment of somebody, it's called a prejudice. And so what's happening here is as, as, the, as Peter, representing even the other disciples and apostles, as his life is being recalibrated and re- reoriented into a new day for what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ, what's actually being confronted with him is these mindsets of what it means to associate with other people. Now, it's more than I just don't like the other people. Specifically for Peter and for all of the Jews— God specifically told them not to fellowship with the other people. Leviticus 11, the entire thing is about don't eat these foods, right? You are not to eat these foods. In other places, it said you are supposed to be set apart. And so what's happening for Peter in this point in time, in his own discipleship, in his own following of Jesus, Jesus is starting to confront things within him relating to a new day. And so it was more than these are not the foods you want to eat. There was something about even fellowshipping, being, sharing a table with a Gentile because table fellowship was equal to considering that person family or that group family. And this was a big no-no for Peter and all the other Jews because it was very clear in the Old Testament and the Mosaic Law and the whole thing that they were to be set apart for a people. This was their entire training. This is their entire upbringing. This is thousands of years before them, that they were taught that you have been set apart. You as a people have been set apart to be a prized possession, right? A holy nation. And I want you to not even fellowship with other nations because I want to bring a special blessing and work out a promise through you that will be an example to the other nations of what God intends to do. Now, obviously, all of these things, all these Old Testament promises are just being upended, and they're still trying to figure out how deep and wide the work of the cross was, right? But in this, in this particular passage, what's happening is, is Peter's realizing that he is still carrying these prejudgments of who he was supposed to fellowship with and who gets to be in and who gets to be out and who's worthy and who has the special privilege and who doesn't and what's... what's, uh, what's What's upending his plans is the fact that the Spirit of God is visiting people he didn't think that they, he could visit. And so the Spirit of God is visiting Cornelius, and that's the only reason he follows him there. And so he gets there, and he realizes, oh my gosh, something is happening. Something is happening. He gets to a crisis point within himself, and he's asking the type of question of, what do I care more about in this moment? my own customs and traditions or what God is doing among people, right? That's what's actually being challenged. 
my, my own cultural upbringing, my preferences, the things that I've been taught to know is true and good, or, or am I going to pay attention to what God is doing and flow with that, right? Is it, am I more interested in following principles of God or the person of God, right? Am I, am I more interested in, in uh, um, rules or relationship here? And these are huge things. This is a huge crisis point that Peter's at right now. And it's all this culmination of what God is doing. And God has to tell him, listen, what I have called clean, do not call common. Right? What I have said is, what I have, where I have made a way, do not forsake that, more or less. Do we want principles of the presence of God? Do we want rules or relationship? And it's a really important thing that we look at this because even for us, we don't, we don't, we're not, I don't think many of us are in the same types of situations, right? Um, you're not wondering, you know, who's clean or unclean. That's not the question we're asking. Uh, but I would guess across the room, if, you know, when, when we take an honest look at the types of people we spend our time with, the types of people we choose, the types of people we prefer, um, sometimes within us there's certain either judgments or prejudgments or certain uh, preferences that work their way into who we actually share a table with and, and the thresholds that we go across, right? I, I uh, talked to uh, somebody a few weeks ago, and he was commenting that they go to, on Monday nights here at Vine Life, we, we have this, this amazing feeding for homeless people. They come here on Monday nights, they spend the night, and... Um, and we get to serve them a meal. And people sign up and come and serve a meal. You should do it if you haven't yet. And I talked to a guy a few weeks ago, and he was telling me, he said, yeah, um, I've been going and doing that. And part of the reason I've been doing that is because I'm realizing that I have a lot of judgments against homeless people. I don't get it. I don't really appreciate it. You know, I mean, this is, this is more or less what he's expressing. He's like, I got questions. I get irked. I get agitated. And so the way I'm choosing to respond, though, is by going to serve them because I believe that as I go to serve them, something will happen in my heart. Isn't that cool? And I would guess for a lot of us, um, uh, within our lives, within the people we fellowship with, I, I think what the Spirit of God wants to do within the church, wants to model, is, is to help us separate in cultural preferences from, from kingdom culture, right? We have American culture and we have kingdom culture. Do you guys know there's a difference between the two? Being an American doesn't necessarily mean being Christian, right? There's actually two different operating systems. I'm not saying that they're all, being an American's all wrong. I love being an American. But we have to know what's at work, right? So Peter, his cultural system is being challenged. Everything he grew up knowing and, and being programmed with. Everything he, began to, he grew up being lear, uh, learning had to be processed through the cross and through the person of the work of Jesus. And it caused him to have to reevaluate his own tendencies. I believe for us that this is something, that this is a work that's really important for all of us, that we have to understand the difference between being American and being a kingdom, being it within the kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, right? So as an American... Our, our primary question that we ask is, what do I want to do today, right? What is my preference? You know, as consumers, 
um, as, as people, as individualists, right? As people that achieve, as people that want to design our lives based on the vision that we see. Uh, most of the time, we're asking what's in it for me. Um, who are the people who are most like me that I can fellowship with? But in the kingdom, as things are processed through, through Jesus, we begin to see people, and we begin to see our neighbors, we begin to see these demographics and these sections of life very differently. So that means that we can fellowship with people that have different political persuasions. We can, we can fellowship with people who have different um, sexual convictions. We can fellowship with people uh, who, have, uh, who are diff- on different socioeconomic scales. Are you guys with me on this? This is something we can do Why? Because what God is after is about announcing and proclaiming the good news to anybody. It says says here, anybody who fears the Lord and calls on the name of Jesus, that we get to fellowship, we get to be good news. And even for people that we wouldn't normally choose to be at a table with, God is saying, listen, I'm giving you new eyes to experience. I'm giving you new desires to see that the door is open even to them. The door is open even to them. The door is open, and that's what's happening here. God is opening a door to the Gentiles. He's opening a door to you and I. All of the all of the people who are on the outside, and this is a this becomes a huge crisis point from here on out because they're still trying to figure out what does that mean. Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to start adopting all these rules? Do they need to like adhere to the customs and the cultures? And yeah, they have to discern their way through all these things. But this point right here is that God is making a very specific movement. He's setting up a very critical point that listen, the people that you wouldn't normally associate or fellowship with are the people that are directly on my heart. And he's calling us to be the type of people who share tables with those who we might not normally choose. Okay? And this is really hard for us to visualize. I came across a video that I think is just really beautiful that, that, um, that takes us through this last scene of Peter's journey to meet uh, Cornelius. I want you to see this. This is really beautiful because there's something about the imagination to know what's, what's happening here. Let's take a look at this video real quick. I, Peter, baptize you, Cornelius, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Cornelius is the first Roman to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You are welcome. Isn't that great? There's something about seeing it. It's like, gosh, what's happening here is so significant, right? Neither You can sense the uncertainty in both parties. They have no idea what's happening. Peter's afraid. What do the Romans want with me? Cornelius is afraid. He doesn't know what he's even asking. And that's the thing is, when the gospel is the great, the great leveler. When, when we start responding to the gospel, it's like this, this was a crisis point for everybody. For the Jews, they had, to enter, they had to humble themselves into a position where they were no longer walking, walking as the separate, privileged people, that they were sharing a space with, with new people. And for the, for the Romans, for the Greeks and the Gentiles that were coming in, they had to also humble themselves in knowing, like, I'm, about to, I'm surrendering my life to a Jewish God right? To the Jewish king. This, and that probably felt really foreign to them. But that's what happens when the gospel starts entering into a situation, into 
the lives of people and into homes and to spheres. The gospel brings together people that wouldn't normally be brought together because that's what Jesus is doing, right? That's what he's up to. And I love that, that this, this scene skips over it, but as, as they start sharing the space together, and Peter and Cornelius, they said, well, why are you here? Well, I had this dream that happened. You had a dream too? I had a dream too. They start sharing these stories and comparing notes, and then Peter, he, he, brings, he, he brings it back into his sermon. He begins to speak to the whole household, household of Cornelius. He begins to talk about Jesus of Nazareth. He begins to talk about how all of those who repent and believe and fear his name and do what's right, that there's a place at the table. And what I love about this, what I love about this moment is we read at the very end that what happens, Peter can't even finish the sermon yet and the Holy Spirit of God shows up to flood the room. And it said the Holy Spirit shows up and then, then tongues, the, the, the entire household of Cornelius Uh, begins to be overwhelmed by the power of the Spirit of God. They begin speaking in tongues, which is confirmation that, hey, what happened to you, Peter, and to the disciples and the apostles in the upper room, that is what's happening. That same promise is available to all who call on their name. And so so Peter gets to a place of sin, saying, listen, who can hold them back from being baptized? Who can hold them back from the waters of baptism? God is surely in this place too, Yeah. Yes. Who, who are we to stand in God's way? If this is what God's doing, who are we to stand in his way? Right? And so what I really felt, though, was, was, was the invitation this morning, and, and I trust that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, but what, struck out, what, what stuck out to me, even in these three stories together, and certainly in this story, is I, 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 I really believe um, there's something sacred. There's something important and significant about the type of people that you share fellowship with and the type of people who you invite to be around your table with, right? So as you're thinking about this next year, as you're thinking about the types of people that God is leading you into their lives and the type of thresholds that he's leading you into, uh, I believe that he's want, he wants to fill us with faith to share spaces with people who aren't necessarily like us and to trust that the Holy Spirit of God wants to anoint the moment and to flood the moment with his spirit to open up a door for all people to know him. Okay? So can we do this together this morning? Uh, one of the things, um, one of the things that, I, that my parents taught me to do that we did in our home growing up occasionally was... Um, every now and then, we would actually go through the, our home and we'd go to like the entrances, the doorways, and we'd anoint the doorway with oil. And just put a little cross up on the doorway. And I always remember that. And I started doing that myself in, in, in my homes. Um, and every now and then, it was, you know, there's, I feel prompted, like, hey, we need to anoint the house. We need to anoint the doorways. There's something about anointing the doorway. Um, Besides the Old Testament references of the blood, I mean, there's not a lot in like the New Testament about that, but there's something, you know, the whole idea of anointing, the smearing of the Spirit of God, the whole idea that the household is a sacred place where God chooses to dwell. I mean, even setting aside our homes and our households uh, with the invitation that, God, this is your place. This isn't just our place. This is your place because we're yours, right? There's something about even imagining and thinking through the doorways that we walk through, the doorways of our home, the doorways of our work, the doorways that you get to, the thresholds that you cross on a week-to-week basis, and thinking about them 
uh, as, as Jesus as the door of hope. And he is leading us into a place where as we cross certain thresholds and other people cross our thresholds, that there is a promise that God wants to open new doors for people to experience the power and, and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we do this together? Can we close our eyes around the room? And I want you to think through, I want to invite you to visualize the front door of your home. Maybe you have multiple doors. I want you to visualize being in your home and and the Spirit of God and the presence of God resting in your home. And just think about people being invited in. Some of your neighbors, your co-workers, other acquaintances. And coming in and being received and welcomed. Entering into a habitation where God's presence dwells. Think about your dinner table. Think about your meal time. Think about what it looks like when that table's full. And just as we partake of the Lord, we've been invited to partake of the body and blood of Jesus and to share a table with Jesus. I believe we're, I believe one of the breakthroughs, one of the the paradigm shifts that God wants to invite us into is that our homes and our tables are sacred. And even as we share a meal with each other, it's a prophetic picture of what he's doing. Think about the other doorways you go through in a week. Maybe even think about this last week or this next week. Think about the place you work. Think about other homes that you will visit. Think about what it's like to cross, to be welcomed into a threshold, in through a doorway, and to leave your blessing and your peace there. To extend the kingdom of God and the lordship of Jesus through your love, through your works, through your prayers, through your acts of faith. I thank you, Lord God, even right now, you're giving us an imagination for what this could look like. And this morning, God, we're thankful. We're thankful that you put Peter in a crisis, that he had to discern what you were up to. You put these men and women, you led them into crisis points where they had to discern the work of the kingdom. I thank you, Lord God, that we're here today because they chose to follow your spirit. And this morning, God, my prayer this morning is that as we leave, these, leave this place and go home, that we're filled with more joy and anticipation and faith for what could happen in our home than what could happen in this building. I thank you, Lord God, for faith and expectancy that when we pray for the sick, God, when we speak words of encouragement and words of prophecy, that when we extend in hospitality, 
works of kindness, when we prepare meals and host people in our homes, Lord God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that that's how your gospel infects and invades and is extended to the ends of the earth, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, that you have made us a people filled with power and filled with love to go from this place and to be filled with expectancy, Lord God, as we inhabit our neighborhoods, Lord Jesus. That's what you're doing. That's what you're teaching us to do. And so I pray over every home and every doorway represented in this house today, God. I thank you for every person and the places that we've cultivated at home. And we just pray for breakthrough and miraculous things to happen, Lord God, as we respond. I thank you even this afternoon as we watch a football game and we go to homes and we have people come to our homes. And yeah, we're going to eat wings and all that kind of stuff. But hey, I thank you, Lord God, that as there's crossing over that's happening even this afternoon, I just pray for the spirit of power and love to accompany even our conversations as we fellowship this afternoon. Father, I thank you this is the people that you've made us to be, Lord God, and that we get to participate in the ever-growing expansion and fruitfulness of the kingdom of God on earth. Wake us up, Lord Jesus. Let us be filled with joy as we participate in what you're doing, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand together. Let's stand.